Hey, hello everybody. Uh, thanks for coming tonight and staying through the break to hear me. Uh, thank you to, uh, <clears throat> to Mark and Erica for having me here and Dana and David. That was, those were so spectacular. And mine piece isn't conceptual at all in that way that you guys did. So I'll be represent, <laughs> you know, as always, the retro, okay. And this one is called Hot Lights. This is my new book. It's called Impossible Princess, and City Lights just put it out. And uh, um, this story takes place a long time ago when I was in co an undergraduate in college in New York. And I dedicated it to my friend Cliff Hanks because I don't, I don't remember when, but like 15 years ago, he and I made a picture together where we had to have sex in the movie. And there's all these hot lights were on me, on us. And I just flashed back to an earlier situation where the same thing had happened. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. It was, the, it was the, really the era, the early 90s, of repressed memory returning. Everybody had it. Uh, for long stretches of time every day, I kept my body inside my clothes, but sometimes it broke out and made a fool out of me. Yeah. The me I wanted to represent to the outside world. Hungry for heat and light, my body rolled itself out of hiding at the snap of a Klieg light, and this scared me. It certainly ruined my chances for ever running for public office, and I suppose limited my options in other ways, for everything one bo one's body does limits or directs the rest of one's future. I met Jig Johnson in the early 70s when I was a college student, high as a kite, but perpetually short on cash. Drugs were cheap then, so was tuition, really. So everything was cheap. So was, so was liquor. But since I had only a job as a grocery clerk, I was always on the make, trying to stay alive in New York. Four times a week, I would sell my blood, traipsing from blood bank to blood bank all over Midtown with a sprightly gait that makes me, that tires me now just to think about it. A pal at school told me, sotto voce, of a man who paid students large sums for acting in porn loops. He said these loops in primitive color, badly lit, could be seen in various raucous Times Square peep shows where weirdos dropped a quarter in a slot and a lead shield shot up into the wall unveiling a twist of naked limbs and cocks at some random time say five minutes, the shield descended again implacably. Well, it's, you know, this is before actually, there was actually porn in theaters, okay? So you have to go way back to these days of the porn loop. And now, you know, since the collapse of like videos and VHS and renting things and the rise of Netflix, this the the loop thing is of course surfaced all over again on something like Xtube. Uh, duh. I weighed the pros and cons in my head like the figure of Libra at the on, at Perry Mason, trying to figure out what would be right for me, but not thinking very clearly. I was naive to the nth degree. 
First of all, thanks to a steady diet of so-called soft porn, I didn't imagine that acting in porn would involve having sex in front of a camera. I had never actually seen a hard porn film. I had the suspicion the actors might take off their clothes, might kiss, might pretend to have a kind of sex. Cynically, I thought everything else was faked, as in Hollywood films, special effects. I remember around that time reading current discussions of gay representation in the media. I was taking creative writing at school, so I felt personally involved with the debate and felt obliged to make all my gay characters positive images. Oh, amid what fog of delusion I walked Manhattan, straining my brains to think of ways to make everyone lovable. (laughs) How would my appearance in a porn film affect the representation of my tribe? I couldn't work it out. When I called Jig Johnson from a public phone in the lobby of school, the line was busy, so I went to my French class. After 90 minutes of Rambo and Verlaine, I tried that number again. Ring, ring, hello? That's when I started to panic. Luckily, Johnson was all business and really together, as if to compensate for the stupid qualms of the guys who were probably always calling him up to feed their habits. He asked me if I was ready to play with the big boys. Sure. He asked me if I was free that evening for my audition. There was a bottle of Southern Comfort in my pocket. (laughs) Secretly, I downed some, then sifted my little pile of thoughts like Brian Wilson in that sandbox. (laughs) What time, I said, nodding out. In his apartment, he held my cock in his hands and watched it swell up like one of those time-lapse photography miracles on public TV. (laughs) I stared down, too, feeling the simultaneous pride and shame of an unbidden erection. Presently, when I was hard as a bone, Johnson slapped my cock, told me to get down on my hands and knees on the floor, head on the side of the bed, he called out from the other room, the room where my clothes were, I hoped. On the pinstriped, gamey mattress stained with a dozen men's cum, I lay my head flat, praying I'd make it through my audition. He dug a flash camera out of the hamper and dangled it close to my nose. God knows what I looked like. What distorted expression was frozen on my dumb face. Then the flash exploded and the chemical smell of the early Polaroid film filled the squalid room. As I remained there, stiff and blinking, he moved behind me to crouch down between my legs. I felt him trying to spread my knees, so I helped, trying to oblige. I don't know. Did I do the right thing? I felt a wet hand slither down my butt, down in its crack, and I wondered if he was going to screw me. I kept thinking, I'm playing with the big boys now. but he told me he just wanted a picture of my asshole. And there I was thinking, what, no sex? I remember being assaulted by my own thoughts and my feelings of unworthiness while the Polaroid started to whirl. Presently, he threw down two pictures in front of my face, grainy shots in lurid color of my demented face and my tight little red hole like a bullet hole in the middle of what seemed an absurdly overstated butt. You'll be perfect, he said. And I wondered what perfection meant if such banal evidences gave me so much pause. You can dress now, he said in a gentler tone. I covered my crotch with my hands as I walked out of the room, like a little boy surprised. 
Suddenly I realized that porn acting involved actual sex captured on film. Oh, it just came to me. Like a revelation. Like St. Paul on his way to Damascus, this blinding light. Far out, I thought. For I was always ready to have sex with other guys, but at the same time, the thought of film's perpetuity unnerved me. It's one thing to reflect that, no matter how much of a mess she became, one can all, we can always think of Judy Garland as Sweet Sixteen singing in that cornfield. It was another to consider that, in a certain sense, I would always be a 19-year-old nitwit with a cock up my ass and a pot and dews glaze in my eyes. I found my clothes undisturbed and jammed them on willy-nilly. Johnson produced a bent card with an address scribbled on the back. He tied my necktie for me, absently helped me tuck in my shirt. He smelled of some lemony scent like the floor wax my mother used at home on her kitchen. He was indescribably dapper, everything I thought of when I thought of New York, when I thought of the words, New York. Even the, po the points of his collar were perfect white triangles, stiff, formal, like watercress sandwiches cut in half. I felt like a slob in front of him. I could hardly look him in the eye. If I had, oh dear, what pity or contempt would I have seen there? Or was I his mirror, his younger self, a self without a single social grace, no ease? I steeled up my courage and insisted that I would not play an effeminate, hysterical hairdresser in his loop, a type gay activists were deploring in the great debate. You won't be playing any type, he said, probably baffled. You'll just be yourself. Swell, except I didn't know what, who that self might be. In looks, I resembled a slightly beefed-up version of the Disney actress Haley Mills. <laughs> Very androgynous in the spirit of the times. And my voice had hardly broken, so I was still prone to embarrassing squeaks that made me wish the floor would open up. So, so whatever. At the front door, another guy waited in, in old army fatigues, and as if on a whim, Johnson had me unbutton the guy's pants and suck his cock for a minute. I thought about it for maybe 10 seconds, then agreed, for auditioning had made me horny, and until this possibility of contact, I felt utterly unattractive. Hi, the guy said. Ooh, said I. <laughs> he was my age, 19, or just about, Chalky white skin and hair dyed orange as Tropicana. I massaged his muscled thighs as he bobbed up and down in his lap. That's fine, said Jig Johnson. You can stop now. My co-star, whose name turned out to be Guy, shot a pitying glass and said, Johnson, where are you recruiting now, Jig, he said shakily. Johnson smiled and caressed Guy's orange sideburn in an absent, avuncular manner, while Guy yawned and gracefully reeled his dick back in his khakis. There'll be six of you tomorrow, Johnson said. Meet us at 10 o'clock, Kevin. Okay, I stuttered. And thanks, Mr. Johnson. Guy called after me. You're too good for this son of a bitch. Right then, I fell, kind of fell in love a bit. I set my alarm over and over again. I took a dozen showers. Of the actual filming, I recall little. 
I mounted the stairs of a dilapidated building a block from Broadway. Had the space once been a dance studio? Big quiet room, torn blinds drawn to the floor, a room scattered with the kind of furniture college students leave behind in their dorm rooms after they graduate. There was a steady roar in my head, a dull roar like a subway station, a roar which rose as I met my other co-stars and first saw the camera, a big box with a red light beaming underneath to show we were on. Had they invented videotape back then? <laughs> I don't think so. Had film, uh, sorry. Here, film itself was the precious, expensive thing to be parceled out in stingy dear bits. I asked for my script to give me something to read, to give me something to look at instead of the, all these distracting bodies sliding out of street clothes. I did notice that one guy had a shorter dick than mine, so I butched it up in all our scenes together. I'm no fool, I thought. That's one less thing to obsess about. Jig, Kevin wants to take a look at the script. First a, first a blank look, then a laugh. Then everybody laughed at my naivete. Guy, my co-star, patted my back consolingly. Long white pats that brought the sweat dripping down into the crack of my ass. Nice guy. None of us had scripts per se, but there were scratch marks all over the carpet. Drawn with chalk, I suppose, of where we should stand at different intervals. Usually down on one knee. Mystifying marks like the arbitrary symbols in the caves of Lascaux. <laughs> Johnson told us to make up all our dialogue since another gang of boys would dub, in, dub us over in a different situation, probably in a different city. Everyone was hard, stiff, unbelievably so, and when the hot lights bore down in my erection, it gleamed like topaz under a light coating of mineral oil. And I said to myself, I'd take that home with me. I'd pay money to see that. Who's attached to this rod of steel? <laughs> it, my rod of steel, twitched, and great shadows leapt and fell across Guy's star startled, tiny face underneath. He resembled a still from some excellent Maya Duran film like Meshes of the Afternoon. One guy, Charlie, long blonde hair like Fabio's. <sighs> touch of a blonde goatee at the base of his spine, spent hours bent over the back of a large sofa, getting fucked over and over, and his only line was, mount me. That stuck with me. <laughs> in, the, in the morning, his asshole was a thin, slit, moist, exquisitely puckered, but by late afternoon, it looked like a red rubber ball torn in half and pierced with blood, sunk deep within. Most of all, I remember the heat of the lights, how huge lights two feet wide threatened to blow the fuses of the entire apartment building, and how when their shutters opened, a giant click sound rocked the whole room. Those white-hot domes trained on one's skin were like the great eyes of God the poet Jack Spicer wrote of in imaginary elegies. They see everything, even under the skin where your thoughts are, your dirty little thoughts. You can take off all your clothes and pretend to be naked, but you are still Kevin Killian from Smithtown, Long Island, with all the petty details that denotes. And yet at the same time, the heat made me feel languorous, forgetful, like Maria Montez at the top of some Aztec staircase, dangerous as though there were nothing beyond the circle of white. 
no audience, no society, only oneself and the red or purple or black hard-on that floats magically to the level of one's lips. I suppose all actors must feel the same way in some part of being, that the camera's eye represents the eye of God, which at the same time judges all and threateningly withholds all judgment till time turns off. We poured out onto the streets at sunset, tired and spent, yakking it up. We would never be stars, I thought. No one would ever see this loop. And I was glad, but sorry, too. I asked if anyone knew the name of the picture. No one did. Charlie said they should call it Saddle Sore. It didn't really have a name. And as such, I thought, it had no real existence. Just six guys fucking and sucking. We said we would all meet in six months at a Times Square grindhouse for the premiere, like old acquaintance. I tried visualizing our putative audience and words popped into my head, a bunch of perverts, shady men in black trench coats, visiting conventioneers, touring the louche side of gay New York, nobodies. Bye dudes, later, adios. I took away more money than I'd ever made in my life, a hundred dollars. <laughs> Except Johnson took back like three dollars because he brought us some lunch, beer and Kentucky Fried Chicken. At the same time, I read some interview with Lou Reed. Asked whether he thought homosexuality was increasing, he replied to the effect that, it's a fad, but people will tire of it because eventually you have to suck cock or you have to get your ass fucked. I reflected that I had, in one fell swoop, ruined my chance to be president. I'd earned $97. I'd made a new boyfriend. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Solidified my connections with the entertainment world. <laughs> had, and had some great sex, but still I felt utterly ashamed of my own specularity, my need to see and be seen. I came onto the face and chest of a boy, and my semen seemed to spatter and fry before my eyes as though his body were the very skillet of love. Such was the wattage of those hot lights. I remember walking around Columbus Circle looking for things to buy with my money and feeling disappointed there are no stores there, only pretzel vendors and hot dog stands. So I bought a pretzel and a hot dog and stood with my foot curled around the ironwork fence at Central Park South, watching the crowd, wondering if anybody could tell. My wallet felt fat, expansive, as though my money might grow to enormous size and eat the whole fucking city. I was so filled up with energy, I thought I could walk all the way uptown to Guy's neighborhood. Then just kind of drop in, rekindle our newfound intimacy lick that dead white skin from the nape of his neck to the puncture wounds inside his arm. I slid into a bar on 6th Avenue, pondering desire, guy, money, and guilt. Had I let down my tribe by playing a part which wasn't actually a part, per se, but couldn't, theref so therefore couldn't be a positive one? Wish I could go back and console my younger self, rub his young soldier shoulders, explicate latter-day porn theory to cheer him up, <laughs> and also get him to cut back on all that drinking. <sighs> At once the most and least ironic of art forms, pornography undercuts the performative authenticity of penetration with, oh, just lashes of mad camp. Its greatest stars, like those of performance art, 
are the biggest dopes in the world. It's most discerning fans, those like my present day self, who feel ourselves beyond representation for one imaginary reason or another. I stepped into a liquor store on 82nd for a bottle of Seagram 7, knowing I'd find an answer in its rich, musky depths. On the way out, I saw a phone booth, and I called Guy, who had scrawled his number backward up my thigh from the back of my knee to the juncture of my balls. I know it's not six months yet, I said. <laughs> but I was thinking, I can still taste your dick in my mouth, he said. What an encouraging sign, or so I thought. But instead, he hung up on me and I felt a blush rise right up to my temples. I, st I thought everyone was staring at the dumb boy on the dumb phone who just got the brush off. The glare of judgment burning me like lasers through my cool. I kept thinking, I'm wearing way too many clothes, and I fled. Finally, night fell, and I looked up at the moon that shone over Morningside Heights, its white soft beam so limpid, full of the poetry of Shakespeare and the Caribbean and of George Eliot, the antithesis, I suppose, of the hot lights I had grown to need. How relaxed, how relieved I now felt in the white moonlight. Relieved of the chore of playing with the big boys. My clothes seemed to fit again. I became myself. The moon's fleecy lambency corralled my pieces and relinked us. We joined hands, as it were, and sang and danced in a circle. Very Joseph Campbell. Me, again, me, regnant, manhood ceremonial, the birth of the hero, I became Kevin Killian. Did I make a mistake? Yeah. I'll just take... I'll just tell you the P.S. is like after I wrote the story maybe like 10 or 12 years ago, I thought because all these loops were very impermanent that this would never be seen again, but it resurfaced. <laughs> and why? It was because one of the other actors in the um, loop was deaf. Anybody here deaf? And, okay, but, but deafness is really, there's like a, there's like a whole, fetish system of deaf porn acting. So if there's a deaf person in any porn, it's like highly prized. It was collected like at the moment it was made and now it's, you know, incredibly high value. But uh, there's this one fellow in LA who, who, who has access to all these reels, William Jones, and he said that he'd seen it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I can't wait to look at it again. <laughs>